we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19 today. And uh, one other thing, just to give you a really brief update on and ask for your prayer about, uh, as you know, we're, we're searching uh, for another pastor to come on staff. And uh, we haven't talked a lot about it and still probably won't for a little bit yet, but just know that uh, we've received a handful of just outstanding applicants. And uh, I think God's gonna provide somebody uh, perfect for our church and, and send someone to us who'll be a great fit. Uh, but I would pray, uh, I would ask, excuse me, and I know uh, others in leadership on our board would ask for your wisdom and uh, for your prayers as we work through that process, that God would make it very clear and um, that he would send the right guy and that we would uh, be sure to be patient for his leading in that. Can you do that for us? Uh, would really covet your prayers in that. Well, uh, we are in uh, the book of Exodus and we've been in it for a number of weeks now. And today we're gonna see God show up. We're gonna see him show up. And uh, so far, if you don't maybe know the whole storyline of what's happened in Exodus, it begins uh, with God's people having spent 400 years in a foreign place in the land of Egypt, the north end of Egypt. And over time, over those 400 years, they multiplied so greatly that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, became afraid of them. And so uh, he began to enslave them and oppress them and afflict them. And uh, the, the people's burdens were just continually multiplied upon them for fear that they would rise up and conquer Egypt. Well, they begin to cry out to God for help. And it, to them, it seemed as if he's been silent for 400 years, where's he been? And then uh, God miraculously raises up a guy by the name of Moses, saves his life as a little boy, uh, rescues him and speaks to him, provides a wife for him in the wilderness, even after he had uh, murdered a man. And you would think, oh, he's out of the picture now. God can't use him. And then at the age of 80, Jesus appears to him through a burning bush and Moses comes back to rescue God's people. He appears uh, before Pharaoh. We mentioned last Sunday, you know, he goes to uh, the, the most powerful leader in the most powerful country in the world at the time and demands that he let the people go. And God miraculously, miraculously works uh, many works of wonders and the 10 plagues and, and frees his people. And then as it seems like they're at a dead end and Pharaoh's gonna get them uh, the Red Sea parts and they cross uh, across the Red Sea. And then God closes the sea up behind them and slays all of Pharaoh's army to rescue them. And now they're free. And up until this point, they've never had to fight. And we saw last, uh, last week their, their first uh, battle in fighting the last couple of weeks. And now today, we're gonna see God show up. This God whom they've seen work wonders for them, who they've uh, heard speak to them through Moses. Now uh, we're setting up for the moment where they are going to hear his voice. And they're going to see his power with their own eyes. Uh, not to, to rescue them or do anything, but just who he is in his glory. And God is gonna show up in Exodus 19 and 20. And now uh, just one theological clarification before we go on, because some of you are, are pretty astute theologically and you're thinking, what do you mean God's gonna show up? I thought he was omnipresent. Isn't he 
everywhere, all the time, always there, present, everywhere, right? Yes, absolutely, he totally is. I'm not negating that. When, when I say God shows up, I'm talking about his manifest presence, where his presence becomes manifest and uh, clearly understood in the moment. That's what we're talking about today. When God shows up to the Israelites. So with that, uh, it should be an exciting morning. Let me pray. And then we're gonna be in Exodus 19. Father, again, we thank you for Jesus, our savior and a rescuer uh, through whom uh, you've saved us and shown yourself to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that as uh, we unpack your word together today, that you'd speak to us. Holy Spirit, you'd speak to me and, and teach me and through me as I teach. We pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects that uh, he wouldn't uh, cause us to ignore your word or ignore the truth or um, shoulder guilt or pride or anything else that, that we shouldn't. But instead, Holy Spirit, would you work and come in power to change us and to make us more like Jesus? It's through him we pray all of these things. So as we get moving this morning, uh, we're gonna be in Exodus 19. And the first thing I want you to see before we even get into the text, I'm gonna set this up before we head into it, uh, is that when God shows up, he always invites us into relationship. When he shows himself, uh, one of the big reasons he's showing himself is to invite you and I into relationship with him. Maybe that's into relationship for the first time. Maybe that's into deeper relationship. Maybe that's a, a corrective measure in your relationship with him. But when God shows up, he's always inviting us into relationship. Every time he shows himself, it's an invitation to know him. That's exactly what it is. He's continually inviting us into relationship. God is not a God who, who steps outside of things, you know, kind of lit the match, let it all get going. <sighs> and then step back to watch it burn. That's not our God. He's involved intimately and he wants to know you and he's always inviting you into relationship with him. Now that inv invitation takes different forms at different times. The, I would argue the primary way he does that is through that book you're holding, through his word. He's spoken to you and to me through his word. It's an invitation to know him and understand him. He does it in worship as we sing together. And as you engage your heart, and I would encourage you uh, to engage not just your heart, but all of who you are. As you engage him and, and, and worship him and give him glory, the psalmist writes that he is enthroned on our praises. He shows up in those times uh, that some even will, will see you worship and come to know that God is true and real, the psalmist writes. In a miraculous event, sometimes he shows himself. Some of you maybe have experienced some things where you know there's no other explanation for what just happened other than, than God did that. God protected me, God healed me, God did that. Uh, maybe it's uh, just in nature. Do you know God shows himself through his creation? But not so that we would worship the created thing, but so we would worship the creator, right? but you can worship God. It's a call to worship, to relationship, to know him. Do you know God even shows up in tragedy? He reveals himself to us. Sometimes in tragedy, in the face of tragedy, it's a call to trust him and just receive his tender care. 
And when you face tragedy, maybe you're facing one this week, I don't know. But do you know, uh, you have a choice in that moment. You can either seek him and trust him, or you can be angry and turn from him and become bitter and callous. And if you're not careful, if you choose the latter, you become bitter and callous, suddenly everything in life begins to be seen through these bitter frames and this bitter lens. And you're robbing yourself of the invitation and you may in fact miss it. Because now as a fellow believer comes to you and says something to you, you don't hear it in the love in which it's spoken, but you hear it through that lens of of hurt and anger and bitterness. And you don't uh, hear and read God's word through the lens of his uh, reaching out to you in relationship. You hear it in the lens of, yeah, well, then why did you allow that to happen to me? And when you hear a pastor or a leader speak, you don't, you don't hear things with the grace and with the love with which God speaks through his word, but you hear it as some kind of personal attack and you miss the invitation to relationship. God is always inviting us. It's our choice how we respond. That tragedy could be a call to trust him. It could be a call to repentance and turning back. You know, repentance, that's all it is. It's turning back to God. And he might do this through tragedy. He might do it through just totally turning your world upside down. He might do it with patience and grace to you. What about when God is silent? Does God ever show up when he's silent? Well, I believe it's still an invitation to relationship when he is silent because it's an invitation to trust his promises like we sang about. The great things he's done and trust him to do it again. And that's where the Israelites are at this morning. So you might just think about these things today through that lens. God's inviting you into relationship. What's your response? What's your response? Let's read together in Exodus chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. So uh, that's just a way uh, of saying on the first day of the third month, right? The first day, so it's been a couple months since they left Egypt. On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim. Some of this is a little bit review of what we've already covered, but... uh, Moses reiterates it here, repeats it. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. Now, you may not realize this yet, but we're gonna see it here in a second. When they camped before the mountain, before Mount Sinai, this is actually a, a fulfillment of one of God's promises to Moses. And we'll come back to that. So just hold that thought. Verse three, they were encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. He goes up the mountain. We're gonna see him do that a few times today. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. In other words, through Moses, God is going to speak to everyone and he's going to invite them to worship him and to know him in a deeper way. Here's what he says to them. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You've seen what I've done is what God says. I wonder, um, looking back, have you ever realized that looking back is often when you see God's hand? It's not like, if you think of it as driving a car, it's usually not through the windshield that you see God's leading. Sometimes you do, but it's usually more so in the rear view mirror or in the side mirrors. 
that you look back and you go, wow, God really protected me there. Or wow, God's hand was really in that. Or wow, look at what he did in that day. Usually you see his hand by looking back. And then by looking back, God says, remember over and over so that as you're looking out the front window and you don't see anything, you're not sure what to do. You can trust that, hey, all the ways he's been faithful in the past, he's gonna be faithful as I keep going. And so you often see God's hand looking back. I wonder for you, you know, he says, uh, the great things I did and the ways I rescued you from the Egyptians. What are some of the great things God has done for you? What are some things he's done for you? Now, these could be really big things. These could be just really simple things. Everybody's dressed today. God's given you clothes. He's done great things for you. There's plenty of people in the world who don't have clothing, let alone clean clothing. What about just all the ways he provides for you? When has he carried you? Like he says, I'm gonna carry you like on like an eagle with its young on their, on their wings. How's he carried you through hard times, through times when you're learning and you're not sure how to trust him? Everyone has seen God's hand and you often see it when you look back and that enables you to trust him for the present going forward. Now, uh, one of the ways Moses would have seen this right away, I just, I told you in verse two, at the end of verse two, it says, there Israel encamped before the mountain." this was a fulfillment of God's promise to Moses. Because what else happened at this mountain about a year ago? Not like a year ago, our year, but a year ago in the text. Moses met Jesus through a burning bush on Mount Sinai. And if you look at chapter three, verse 12, he said to Moses, but Moses, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign for you that I've sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses, uh, listen, I'm gonna be with you. And I'm telling you, you're coming back here to meet me. You're gonna be okay. It's, it's gonna be all right. I'm gonna be with you. And by the way, when you come back, there's gonna be a whole ton of people with you. I mean, I wonder if when they encamped here at the foot of the mountain, if Moses had some buddies who he had told all this story to and uh, just said, uh, hey guys, I think it's, yep, there it is. That's the bush. That's where he spoke to me. Really? This is, I thought it would be better than, well, it's a, it's a bush. It was Jesus who was cool, not the bush. Like, like, but this is where he spoke to me. This is where it happened. I would imagine he probably brought some people and showed it to him, don't you suppose? And God told me I'd be back here and I'd be back here with all of you. And maybe there was even some identifying mark of it that he had told people ahead of time. It's like, I'm telling you, when we see this tree, that's the one. You see God's hand when looking back. Because so many times, uh, and you especially read it when you get into numbers and some of the other accounts of some of these times, there were times where Moses just said, God, I don't get it. I give up. Why did you send me? Why'd you send me to Pharaoh? Why'd you send me with these people? I quit. (laughs) It'd be better if I was dead. Like he literally says that at one point. Kill me now. Because in the moment he was forgetting all of God's promises. But now as he gets to this point where he can look back and see God's faithfulness, he can trust him to keep going. And Moses has met God here and he's going to meet him again here about a year later after that first encounter. Let's look at verse five. What we're gonna see here is that God gives a new identity to his people. Now, therefore, God's still speaking through Moses to them. Uh, He says, if you will indeed obey my voice, 
and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words, Moses, that you should speak to the people of Israel. So do so you see what's going on here? Uh, God says, um, Moses, you're gonna remind them of everything that I've done for them and rescuing them from the Egyptians, how I carried them and provided for them. And then you're gonna tell them, remind them, if they obey me, I'm going to bless them and things are gonna go great. But if you sin, you're choosing to suffer. But if you obey me, here's my covenant with you. It's gonna go very, very well for you if you obey. That's your only requirement now. But the obedience comes when? After having rescued them. Because look at verse six, he says, you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Notice the order of events. First, God rescues them and then he gives them an identity. First, he frees them and fights for them. And then he says, now here's who you are, go live like it. Imagine if God had told Moses, go to Egypt and tell everybody, all right, here's God's command. If you obey him, he's going to rescue you from Egypt. If you do it all, if you get it right, he's gonna get you free. Imagine if God had said that. They'd still be enslaved today. There'd still be a huge population of Israelites enslaved in Egypt today. They would have never been able to become free because they would have never obeyed perfectly. No, God freed them. And then now he says, obey me. And now you are free. And if you obey me in your freedom, things will go very well for you. If not, I love you and there'll be discipline until you do. See, this illustrates a lie versus a truth that's prevalent throughout scripture. The first one is the lie of religion. Do you know what the lie of religion is? It's the lie that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. The lie of religion is this. If you do this, do these things, obey me, clean yourself up, get it all right, then God will love you. If you follow all the rules, then you can be accepted. If you uh, quit messing up so much, then maybe if you do that long enough, God will love you. That's a lie. It was a lie he told Eve in the garden. He said, Eve, if you do this, if you eat from this tree, then you'll be like God. But God had already said two chapters previous that, no, Eve, I've made you like me, now go live like it. That's the lie of religion, that if you do enough good things, you'll be made right with God. I like to joke, all that is, is a lot of do, 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 a bunch of do, do. It's the polite way to say it. It's a lie. It's a total lie. And some of you have bought into it and you need to be freed from it. Here's the truth of the gospel. The the truth of the gospel is that Jesus does all the work in freeing you. Your only response is to believe. That's your only response. And when you believe you are made new, you're set free, you're rescued. And yes, you may still sin, you may still mess up, but there's coming a day when he's coming back to totally finish it off. 
and you already are new, even though you're not yet totally new. And now because of who you are, you need to live like it. See, it, it, the Exodus mirrors this. God's people were slaves in Egypt, but uh, God through Moses totally freed them to the point that the Red Sea closed in over Pharaoh. There was no longer a threat and now they're free. And now that they're free, when we see the 10 commandments next week, do you know what those are for? They're not like rules to like make life miserable for them. They're, they're how they're supposed to live out this new identity. This is who you are. Here's how you should live. And when you live like this, because I've made you new, I've made you this way, life goes so much better. It's not achieving that identity. It's receiving that identity and then living it out. Do you see the difference? We talked the other night in our life group, Becca, you mentioned we were talking about uh, pet peeves. One of my pet peeves, I forgot it last night, but is religious people who, who impose all kinds of things that you have to do to be made right with God or to be accepted. No, this is who you are. Now go be free. Now here's the danger though. If once you're free, you're free. And now any slavery you put yourself back into in terms of, of sin and addiction and whatever else, it's a slavery now from within that you've put on yourself. And you have a choice. You can drop that and let it go and trust Jesus and be made new. Or you can continue to not live out who you truly are. See, if you will indeed obey my voice, any obedience, by the way, on our part is actually Jesus working in us. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For verse 13, it's God who works in you. He'll actually work in and through you, through his spirit to help you obey. God's blessing came with this condition of obedience. And he goes on, he says, for all the earth is mine, but you'll be treasured among all my possessions. Well, the apostle Peter took these words of Moses. This is the first time the ideas of, the idea of a kingdom of priests is ever mentioned in scripture. And, and Peter fleshes it out. He says, you, uh, as followers of Jesus, you're a chosen race a royal priesthood, this is your identity, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, that you may proclaim his excellence. excellence. Notice the order, that you may do this, you're sent to love because of who you are, because you're a royal priesthood, because you're chosen, now you can go proclaim that. That's the truth of the gospel. John speaks of it in Revelation as well. Those notes are on your, on your outline this morning, those verses. But notice that order. You are, now go proclaim it. Not go proclaim it so that you can become, but you are, now go live it out. Uh, just one note here. Uh, this is covenant language. When God says, you will be uh, my treasured possession. This is covenant language and, and covenant goes like this. God uses this language all throughout the Old Testament and then even into the New Testament in the new covenant with Jesus that uh, I will be your God, you will be my people and I will dwell among you and I'll be with you. That's covenant language. And God is about to establish this covenant with his people of, hey, I'm gonna be your God as you go into the promised land. You're gonna be my people and I want you to live like it. And I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna be with you. Now, uh, 
Let's keep going. Let's read verse seven and eight here. So Moses came, he called the elders of the people. He set before them all these words the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So do you see all this? God brings them. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. He says, hey, Moses, Mo, I need you to go talk to them. Tell them, remind them of everything I've done. Remind them of who they are and tell them then how they're supposed to live now that that's who they are. And I'm inviting them in covenant relationship that I'll be their God, they'll be my people and I'll be with all of you. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. And when God shows up, he always invites us to relationship. And in that relationship, he calls us to obey him. He calls us to obey him. Now, again, pay attention and hear this clearly. This isn't obedience so that God will love you. That's religion, that's lie, that's garbage. The truth is, listen, God invites you into relationship to be made new, to be rescued. And then after that, he calls you to obedience, to live out this new identity. Never to earn his favor, always to reveal it. Look at verse nine. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses, behold, pay attention is what that means. I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. So God's gonna show up in a thick cloud in the Hebrew, literally it's a cloud of clouds, like thick cloud, super thick, two different words. And Moses is supposed to go tell everybody to consecrate themselves, to wash their garments, to make themselves holy, to become sanctified. That's what consecrate means. Holy just means to be separate, to be totally other, to be different. And notice that God has already said, I'm going to make you into a holy nation. You are my treasured possession. And now I want you to consecrate yourselves and live like who you are and live a holy life as my children. Peter tells, tells us in 1 Peter 14, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it's written, God has said, you shall be holy for I am holy. He says, as obedient children, we should fear God. And that doesn't mean be afraid of him, right? It means fear him, revere him. I mean, I think of that with, with my son, Charlie, right? I, I certainly never want him to be afraid of me that like, if I mess up, dad's gonna just lose it and yell at me and hit me or do something awful. No, as, a, as an obedient child who, who f- I do want him to fear me, but not be afraid of me. Do you see the difference? In fearing me, I, I want him to realize when, uh, when he hits his mom, when she's trying to help him and he gets angry and he, he swings and smacks her, that his first thought after being corrected is, dad's gonna wanna talk about that. That's a reverent fear, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's times where he'll go, do I have to talk to dad about that, mom? It's really sweet but I'm really glad too, right? 
but I never want him to be afraid of me. God, in the same way, when, when the Bible tells you as a child of his to fear the Lord, it's not to be afraid to ever come to him, but to fear him in reverence because he's a good dad who loves you, but he will correct you. He will correct you. So you should consecrate yourself and prepare to meet him. See, that's what's happening here is they're preparing to meet God. God's about to show up. The Lord said to Moses, tell him, you know, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, three days, God says, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Three days, God is showing up. Imagine if you had a notification on your phone that popped up this week, clearly from Jesus, and it said, three days, I'll be back. What would you do? Would you live your life a little different? Would you maybe put some things aside? That's the idea. They're preparing to meet with God. Uh, get ready. The day after tomorrow, God's showing up. Some have said that this life is simply a dress rehearsal for eternity. It's all preparation to meet God. And that's what's happening here. And, and one day you will see him. Everyone will. Just like they're about to see him here in Exodus 19. And it's described really uh, throughout the Bible. And even here, you know, it's told Moses, consecrate themselves, let them wash their garments in preparation as like this change of clothes. This whole identity piece is really changing clothes. It's going, uh, it's taking off who I was in my sin and putting it away and putting on who I now am in Christ and living it out. That shows up all throughout the New Testament and even multiple times in the Old Testament, this idea of changing Clothes. In other words, I mean, for example, like in Revelation of Jesus' return, it's so vivid. John writes, he says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Here's the preparation for Jesus' return, right? For the marriage, lamb, marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. She's made herself ready. Just like in Exodus 19, she's consecrated herself. She's in fact, she's changed her garments, washed her garments. Look at verse eight. And it was granted for her. See, it's grace that you get these new garments to go live out this new identity. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. She didn't earn it. We don't earn it, this purity. It's granted to us. It's all grace. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then as we go on in Exodus uh, chapter 19, there's a warning called to obey him, to prepare, to meet him. And uh, there's a warning here in Exodus 19, starting in verse 12. It says, and you shall set limits, Moses, all around. Remember, they're at the base of Mount Sinai saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or even to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him. So in other words, if, if, if somebody touches the mountain, like don't go wrestle him to the ground. Don't touch him. No, one, no hand will touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot if he touches the mountain. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. Now, I don't know about you, but that to me sounds like a sign I've seen in front of somebody's woods, like out in the, somebody's redneck woods, doesn't it? I mean, let me imagine it, if maybe Moses put up some signs like that, you know, uh, Take care not to touch the edge of the mountain. Whoever touches it will be put to death. No hand shall touch him. He shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. Doesn't that sound like that? And I kind of laugh a little bit. 
hope you can laugh with me in the light of what's really very, very serious. But shot, by the way, doesn't mean with a gun. It means with a bow and arrow. They didn't have firearms coming out of Egypt. They had a lot of good things, but not firearms. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain, up to the edge. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people. He consecrated them. He obeyed. He washed their garments. They washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Uh, in other words, uh, if, if you're married, um, keep yourself uh, uh, chaste and uh, don't lay with your wife over the next three days. Prepare yourself to focus solely on meeting your God. That's what he's saying. When God, invite, when God shows up, he always invites us into relationship, calls us to obey him, and then he shows us who he is. He shows us who he is. Look at how he shows himself to the Israelites on the morning of the third day. And by the way, a lot of this gets reflected again in Jesus' return in Revelation. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Now, that very loud trumpet blast, it wasn't, isn't like a trumpet like you and I think of, but like a ram's horn. You know, so like, if you watch the Vikings play football today and you ever hear that horn blow, it's kind of like that. And it just, it, it blows and it gets louder and louder and louder. And it, it startled the people, they trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai, look at, look at this description. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Doesn't this description of Mount Sinai just sound kind of like a volcano to you? I found this picture of Mount Cervantes in erupting in Mexico in April of 2015. And as soon as I saw it, all I could think of was Exodus 19 and 20 because it so matches that description. So imagine uh, you hear the loud trumpet blast, you walk out with Moses after having consecrated yourself for three days, you're at the foot of the mountain and then you see this in front of you. And now imagine you're Moses and God's about to call you up into that. What are you gonna do? By the way, uh, we'll, we'll get to this in a couple of weeks when Moses is up there, the people rebel and he's there for 40 days and assuming, I'm assuming, they, they, I mean, they start saying, well, what happened to this Moses? They're probably assuming, dude, we see what's going on here. He's dead, he gone. And they rebel against God. But imagine God showing his power in this way. And it was probably much more glorious than what we see just in this volcano. So the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, warn the people lest they break through to look and many of them perish. And also the priests who come near the Lord, they, they need to consecrate themselves, all the leaders, lest the Lord break out against them. They need to live like who they are. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us. He said, Lord, you, you told me to set limits. 
And then the Lord said to him, go down, come up bringing Aaron with you, but don't let the priests and the people break through lest he, the Lord break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And what's gonna happen next week is uh, we're gonna see Moses and Aaron go back up. We're gonna see Moses go up and uh, God is going to give him his top 10 list for how they're supposed to live out this new identity in the land. As you know, as the 10 commandments. But here's the deal. Why does God reveal himself in such a powerful way to all the people? Why does he do that? Well, he shows himself here in this way because seeing him motivates their holiness. It motivates them to live out this new identity and obey him. Exodus 20, verse 20 says this, Moses said to the people, don't fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And I just wonder as we kind of close this morning, we're gonna sing and call it a morning. God's inviting you into relationship with him. And as you enter into that relationship, he then calls you after that to obey him and, uh, and to seek him so that he would show himself to you, that it would motivate you to continually live out that obedience. How are you seeking him? Are you in his word? Are you connected in a life group? Are you, are you seeking him? He says, whoever seeks me, I will be found. We're gonna close this morning uh, singing and uh, we're gonna sing actually a song that um, really comes straight out of Exodus where Moses towards the end of the book uh, asks for God while he's with him up on Mount Sinai to show him and reveal to him, to reveal to Moses his glory. Because Moses realizes that uh, there's really nothing greater than to see who God is, for him to show up, for his manifest presence to be uh, made known to him because that alone will sustain him. That'll, that'll remind him of, of who God is and of who he is and the incredible relationship he offers and, and it will motivate him to obey him. So as we close this morning, let's sing this together as kind of our closing prayer for the week that the Lord would show up and show us who he is, motivate our obedience and our holiness and strengthen our relationship with him, amen? Let's stand and sing.